This morning we are in uh, 1 Peter. We've been going through that book. You need to understand that book was written to a group of people under persecution. Nero had just died. Uh, The Christian world was under attack by the Romans. They didn't like Christians. They didn't want Christians around. And they were doing the best to rid themselves of Christians. Peter writes this book to a group of people who are believers who have kind of scattered all abroad because of what has happened. So these Christians, for whatever reason, maybe because they were born there or whatever reason, they're in different areas. And Peter writes to the Christian people to encourage them, to give them hope, to give them a future, to give them something to look forward to past what they were going through at the moment. Much like the uncertainty in our country. Uh, We've got a lot going on. Everybody wonders about where our country is headed, da-da-da-da. Let me make it really simple for you. Since this country was founded, it has always been under attack. No matter who is in power, it will always be under attack. So it's going to be a constant battle. No matter what happens politically, no matter what happens economically, socially, all of that stuff put together, the bottom line is any time a nation tries to head in a direction towards that which honors God, there is always a push against that, and there always will be, right? So what we're experiencing is not uncommon. What It's very similar to, not even close, but it's similar in principle to Christians trying to do right when Rome wanted to kill them for calling themselves Christians, right? So So the principles apply all the way across the board. Uh, This morning, we are looking at the idea of the next section in Peter. The first part of the chapter 1 talks about the idea that you and I are, are, are Christians, that he writes to these Christian people. He says, you need to value and appreciate your salvation. He said, you don't realize it, but he said, the Old Testament saints would give anything to have what you have. And the angels in heaven envy what you've got. And then he takes it to the next level, and we talked about this last week. He said, look, because you're Christians, you have the ability to live a holy life. And we talked about the idea that holy just meant separate, different. Um, it, didn't, it didn't mean better than. It just meant you can live differently. You don't have to live like everybody else in this world lives. You can live differently. You can set yourself apart and be different. And so we talked about that last week. Now, Peter is going to take that to the next level for us. And he's going to say, all right, you're a Christian and you're holy. You've been set apart. Let me talk to you a little bit about your spiritual birth. And so he's going to start with that. So First Peter Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 is what we're going to look at at first. Uh, well, I tell you what, let's read. Okay, I did it this way. We're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to do chapter 22 and 20, or verses 22 and 23. going to do the middle section and then the end section. All right? So let me read the whole thing. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, he's saying, look, if you're holy, you ought to love each other. Because you have that in common, Christ in common. Sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of God, the Lord, stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, of all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right? So, tell you what, Cole, just leave that up there. 
unless it starts shaking because of wind, and if it does, then take it down because it will drive people nuts. Let's look at the first section. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. One of the first things that Peter tells these people is, look, you ought to be in unity together. He says, by obeying the truth, have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Uh, There's a couple of ideas here. Peter introduces this idea of love. Now, stop for a minute and think about Peter. What was Peter's last conversation with Jesus? Do you love me? Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I really like you. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I really, really like you. Because Peter knew to say love meant something. And then finally Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you really, really like me? And he goes, oh, Lord, yeah, you know that. We got that one. So in that time, then Jesus eventually ascends and goes to heaven. Pentecost comes. Peter's the one who preaches the message. And Peter starts to grow in his Christian life. And Peter comes to understand this issue of love is very, very important. And it becomes very, very dear to Peter's heart. And Peter makes this a focus. He says, look, if you're a Christian, notice what he says. He says, you have sincere love and you love deeply. He describes the kind of love we have. Now look, we're in a culture that doesn't get love. We think we get love. But we don't get love like the Bible talks about love. In our culture, love is an emotion and love is a feeling. That's not love. Maybe parts of love, but that's not love. Okay? Uh, and, and, and let me illustrate this way. The words there are sincere. There's a lot of debate as far as uh, the etymology of the word sincere. Uh, uh, many of you have heard kind of the idea that it means without wax. Um, there's some ideas behind it that what the word means is, is that when they would make sculptures in the old days... Uh, let's say you were doing a, a rock sculpture and you're chipping away and all of a sudden you get a chip. Well, now you've got to figure out how to get rid of the chip or throw the sculpture away. So what they would do is they would take wax and they would rub it in there and they would blend it in, take a little dust of, uh, of, of whatever they had chipped off, mix it in with it, and they would put that in there. So when you're looking at the sculpture to buy it, it looks good. When you get it home and you set it outside and it got to be a really hot day, guess what happened? The wax melted. So the concept that has devolved kind of is this idea that, that sincere meant without wax. It was the idea that you didn't have a, 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 a sculpture that, that it, it was genuine. It was all without wax. Another idea is that they would make statues and that they would, they would cover them in gold, but they would fill them on the inside. They would like make a shell, cover it in gold, fill the inside with wax so that it had the weight kind of of gold. So when you were buying it, it felt like it was heavy with gold, but it wasn't completely gold. So the idea is they would sell them and call them without wax, sincere. We don't know. Here's the bottom line for you and I. Sincere has the concept, or it has this idea that it's, it's, it's genuine, it's sacrificial, it is, it is authentic as you can without adding anything to it. We get that idea? Because this is where it's important. He talks about the idea. He says, you love each other without an agenda. 
You love without an agenda. What that means is, I don't love you in order to get something back from you. And we're going to talk about why this is important in a minute. Because most of us have, have learned to use love as a bargaining tool. Okay, I did this, so now you should do this. So for most of us, love is one of these bargaining kinds of things. Think about it for a minute. Genuine love, where do we find genuine love? Huh? No, no, no. Biblically, biblically, help me out here. Let me help you out in a verse. God is love. Got it? So if you really want to understand love, it starts with God. Now, so, what's a great example of God's love? God so loved the world that he gave. And you need to understand, God didn't say, I'm giving, this, I'm giving my son to you because I want something from you. He's saying, look, I'm giving my son to you. You can accept it or reject it, but I love you enough to give you my son regardless of what you choose. In other words, I'm giving, I'm offering you salvation with no expectation of return. I offer it because I genuinely love and care about you. And you have the opportunity to accept it and embrace it or reject it. That's genuine love. So when Paul, or when Peter here says, you love your brother, he's saying, you sacrificially give to them without expectation of return. And then he clarifies it even further. Notice what else he says. Deeply from the heart. It's an athletic term. Here's what it means. It means you give it everything. It means that when you walk off a basketball court, you have no energy left because it's all on the court. When you walk off a wrestling mat, it was all out there. When you walk off a football field, it was all out there. When you walk off a track, you got nothing left. Why? Because you gave everything into it. You poured everything you got into it. You gave it 100%. I don't believe in 110%. Do the math. You gave it 100%. You gave it everything you got. You loved deeply from the heart. He says, look, I expect Christians to love sincerely without expectation of return and deeply. That's how you ought to care for one another. And then he explains why. Notice what he says next. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How? Through the living and enduring word of God. Now, you've got to bear with me for a minute, okay? But hang on. I'm going to get theological, I'm going to get biological, and then I'm going to get practical. All right? So let's start, with the, let's start with the biological part of it. That's the easiest part for us to grasp. In order for a, a child, an animal, or whatever to be born, there are two parts, right? There is an egg, and there is a sperm, right? You have to have two parts. There is a male part, there's a female part. Got it? They have to come together in a, in a cell. The two come together as one. Got that? So, when that happens, a unique cell embryo starts to form. Now, 
you need to understand, I'm reading a book right now by a molecular biologist, chemist kind of guy, and it's like one of the deepest things I've ever read in my life, but it's one of the most fascinating things I've ever read in my life. Uh, but it's, it's called the uh, 12, 12 Brain Rules. And it goes into the history of cells and stuff like that. And he talks about the idea of each cell in your body has DNA. Right? And he talks about the size of DNA. The size of DNA is like one 250,000th micron or whatever else. He explains it to, to you this way. <clears throat> he said, if you could take one cell and you could take all of the DNA and line them up in a line on a piece of fishing string. He said that fishing string would be 30 miles long. You would take 30 miles of fishing string, you would wad it all up and compact it and push it into a cell. He said, that's what every cell in your body contains. He said, now, what happens is, and this guy's an evolutionist, so he doesn't believe in creation, but he says, what happens is, he said, the difference between a cell in a bone and a cell in the brain and a cell in, in, in the flesh of the fingers or in a lung or in a heart is the way that fishing line is wrapped in the cell. He says, you wrap it one way, it turns into a bone. Wrap it another way, it turns into heart cell. Wrap it another way, it turns into stomach cell. He, he goes through this whole thing. But it all starts with this idea of this, these two parts coming together as one to produce a child. This DNA with this DNA combined to make a unit that is unique in its DNA. Have I lost any of you yet? Because there's going to be a quiz. No, uh, no. At the end of the time, we're going to pass out papers, and whoever fails has to stay and listen to it again. Uh, no. Here's what happened. So you need to understand, we got that concept, right? All right. That's physical birth. Animals, people, that's physical birth. Got it? And it's an incredible, spectacular, miraculous thing. The same thing happens in spiritual birth. And this is what Peter is arguing. If you read John chapter 3, it is said that you are born of the Spirit of God. So one part of our DNA is from the Spirit of God. Here, it says you are born from the Word of God, right? So our spiritual parents, our spiritual DNA, comes from the Spirit of God and the Word of God for us to become a child of God. Okay? Do you get that? That's really important. Because when we jump to the practical, that's not going to make sense unless you embrace that. Your spiritual parents, your spiritual DNA, comes from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. Coming together to produce you as a child of God. Get it? Because, here's what Peter then says. He says, you have been born again. Not a perishable seed, like the seeds we plant in the ground. And I've learned this. You can only keep seeds for so long unless you do certain things. Otherwise, they deteriorate and their, their propagation value... I'm in a whole new area, Greg. Am I close? Their, their, their ability to propagate every year de decreases a little bit if you don't store them right. Right? 
Okay. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> the Word of God doesn't do that. It's not perishable. It's imperishable. It's eternal nature to it. Hence, if the seed is from the Word of God in my life and the Holy Spirit who is eternal, and they come together to produce me as a child of God, guess what my DNA is? Eternal. So we believe that once you become a child of God, it's not something you can lose. It's something that has an eternal nature to it. And notice what he goes on to say. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. He says, look, understand this. You have a temporary nature on this planet. You're like a blade of grass. You're going to grow up, and you're going to die. You look out there right now, the grass is dead. Ready to come back to life. Right now, it's dead. And that's basically what he says. He says, look, or dormant. We'd say dormant, wouldn't we? We'd say dormant? Dormant, yeah. Go cut it if you want. But, uh, you know, uh, he, he says, look, he said, it's like it, it withers and it falls. And again, in this culture, man, it's desert. It's, it's dry. It stuff grows up, dies, grows up, dies. And, and he says, look, that's like our lives. But the word of God stands forever. Now, he then ends it by saying this, and this is the word that we preach to you. Peter says, this is what I've been telling you guys all along since you became believers. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, and anytime there's a therefore in the Bible, it means better ask yourself, why is it therefore? Because he's just argued, you're a child of God. The Old Testament saints would love to have been in your place. The angels would love to trade places with you. You have been made holy because God is holy. You have been born of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, which are your spiritual parents. Because of all of that, he says, there's some stuff you need to get rid of. And notice his list. Get rid of all malice. Now, first of all, rid, what does it mean? Rid has the idea of what every one of us did today. Every one of us today got up. We had something on. Nobody looked in the mirror and went, this is it, man. I'm going to church like this. Every one of us looked at what we had on and went, nah, probably not today. We took off, got rid of whatever it was we were wearing, and put on something else. That's the concept here. You get rid of certain things to replace it with other things. But he actually, the concept's actually deeper than that. Actually, the concept in this passage is you get rid of it for good. Which means, gentlemen, that shirt that you have had for 20 years that your, 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 your spouse or friends look at you and go, please don't ever wear that again. You do not take it and you say, let me explain to you getting rid of a Bible concept. Here's, the world, here's what happens in our house. My underwear, my socks, my shirts, my jeans. When they have finally given up the ghost, I will not throw them away. They now go to 
the bin in the shop. Okay? When they are absolutely covered in something that I cannot use anymore, so I will use them for grease and oil and mopping up everything. But there comes a point at which even they won't do that. And I take it, and we have a little ceremony, and I carefully place it in a burn barrel, and I set it on fire. That, my friend, is getting rid of something. <laughs> Moving it to the shed is not getting rid of it. That's just repurposing it. I get rid of it. What Peter is saying is, there's some things in your life that need to go in the burn barrel. And he lists them. And it's very interesting. He lists five things. Three of them have the concept of all in front of them. And all, in the Bible, you know what all means? All. Deep theological concept. All means all. So he says, all malice. First thing that he, read, that, that, that he lists here. Malice has this idea of a desire to hurt others, inflict pain, or injury. I would say it's overgrown anger. Be a good term. It's an idea that you hear somebody that you don't like went to the doctor and got a bad report, and deep in your heart, you go, yes. It's about time God started dealing with them. I knew they had it coming. It was just a matter of when God was going to catch them. It's malice. It's the idea of rejoicing in somebody else's pain or difficulty, or hardship. He said, get rid of it. Put it in the burn barrel of your life. Then he says, deceit or guile. It's the idea of trickery or deception. It's something that appears true, but is not. In our culture, we call it a white lie. Let me explain to you. A white lie, it's a lie. By definition, it's a lie. Because you're calling it a white, help me out, a white, so is it a lie or not? Yes, that's guile, that's deceit, that's what he's talking about here. I have here, now you guys are going to think I'm like nuts on watches. I have here an Oakley, it says Oakley on the front of it. You know anything about Oakley watches? Okay, um, I, I was given, this was given to me. It says Oakley on the front of it. I haven't worn it for a long time because I, I don't know why it won't work, but anyway. Uh, I wore it for a long time. It has Oakley on the front of it. Today, if you were to go and look on Oakley's website, the low-end watches sell for about $650. The medium average price watches go for around two, two to three grand. And the high-end goes somewhere around 10 grand and up. Yes, I own an Oakley watch because it says Oakley on it. That my friend got me from Mexico... And my friend is such a tightwad, I guarantee you he would never buy me a $650 watch. He paid $10 for it because he bought five of them at a time. Gave them out to all of his really close friends. Um, believe me, for him to spend 10 bucks was amazing. Anyway, even though we are like brothers, uh, he's tight. Uh, I can't believe his wallet even opened. But anyway, uh, he got me this Oakley watch. 
This is guile. This is deceit. It looks like something that's not. It's not totally honest. Now listen to me. Because we say, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, we, no, I wouldn't do that, Pastor. You know, I've gotten rid of all deceit. Really? So when your wife or your husband looks at you and says, hey honey, how much was that tool? Let me give you a great example of this. This week, my wife has put us on a spending diet. You can talk to her about what that means. But anyway, what that means is we watch very carefully everything that we spend. And she looked at me and went, okay, we're on a spending diet. And I went, yes, ma'am. So tell me what the numbers are. She tells me what the numbers are. And so I watch. We put everything on one credit card, pay it off at the end of every month. So I know what the number is for this month. So every day or so, I log on to my credit card account, look at it, see everything that I've spent, made sure I'm underneath that number, know that she's going to be happy when I look at her and go, hey, there's so much we My wife, on the other hand, who puts me on a spending diet, comes home Friday night, and I just looked at the credit card, and I see this thing, it says C-Banks, and I'm thinking, C-Banks? I haven't spent anything at C-Banks. $58 in how much? 52 Okay, $52. <laughs> It was like fifty-two, fifty-eight, something like that. Maybe it's fifty-two dollars and eighty cents. I don't know. Anyway, I look at the number on there, and my wife walks in, and she says to me, as she carries in a great big bag, "Look at what I got today." And she pulls out a new coat, and she says, "Yes, Abby, that's correct." She says, "Abby and I were shopping, and we found this." But I didn't want to wait, and I drove back today, and it was on sale, and it was screaming my name to come in the store and buy me. So I walked in and bought it, and I said, how much was it? And she said, 35, 32 bucks or whatever it was. Now, I know what the bill was. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I saw it, and then I bought some other stuff. I'm sitting in my chair, and I look at her and said, yes, $52 in blank cents. She went, how did you know that? I'm the pastor. I know all. No, I I looked at her, and I said, (laughs) I looked at her, and I said, no. I said, said, you tell me to watch it, and I'm watching it. So now I'm giving her a hard time. You know, I'm eating ramen noodles, and you're buying Coke. No, it's not like that. (laughs) But here's the point. Here's the point. We have a relationship that's built on trust, that's built on sharing. She's totally up front with me. She didn't try to white lie it. She came in and said, here's what I bought, here's how much it was. And she didn't know I had just checked it and I already knew what the numbers were. But can you imagine if all she did was say, yeah, it was a great deal, I spent 30 bucks on it or 20 bucks on it. In the back of my head, I'm going, really? Kids? This is why you're honest and upfront with your folks. White lies a lie. He says, get rid of this deceit, this guile. Be honest and upfront. And then he goes on, he takes it on a little bit further, and he says, all hypocrisy and envy. Hypocrisy is that idea of you're one thing one time, you're another thing another place. That two-facedness, it's, a, it's actually an acting, it's a theater term. When you step on a stage, you can be whoever you want to be. And then you step off and you're somebody else. You say, don't, don't, don't get rid of that in your life. In fact, literally, it's, one, it's interesting. Um, in envies and hypocrisies, 
he, 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 they're plural, but he doesn't say all. And I think that's interesting. Because are you ready for this? There's some things I kind of should envy. I've met people who are married 50 and 60 years, who love each other, who are committed to each other, and I envy them and I desire to be like them. I met pastors who have faithfully served the church year after year after year and have plugged away in ministry for years, and I envy them. I say, that's what I want. I think there's some good things that we need to envy. But he said, so he doesn't tell us all envies here. This idea here, he says, look, get rid of this stuff. And then he says, look, the other idea is, the last thing he does is slander, evil speaking. Let me ask you something. When your friends think about you, do they think about you as a person who builds up or tears down? Many of you are on Facebook. I'm just going to say it this way. I don't think you ought to put anything on Facebook that makes your spouse look bad. Period. It's the old adage, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And you know what? Don't say anything. That's what, that's what he says. Get rid of evil speaking. Get rid of that negative talk tearing down other people. Remove it. Put it in the burn barrel of your life. Get rid of it. And then he goes on, and he says this, like newborn maids crave spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk. The idea was in this culture, just like in our culture, you know how it is when like you run out of milk? And so what do you do? Those of you who cook, you know what I'm talking about? You run out of an item. What do you do? Huh? You improvise. And what's one of the ways we improvise? We dilute it. We add water to it. You add more broth. You, 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 if the stock isn't right, then you add a little diluted stock. You, you dilute it. You bring it down. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look. He said, you crave the pure milk. That means the original thing. You crave the Word of God. You've put that into your life. And the Word of God, the word of God is referred to as milk here. In other passages, it's referred to as meat. It's referred to as bread. It's referred to as honey. And he says here, look, you crave the spiritual, the pure milk. That's why I read my Bible during the week. You know why? It's that pure word where God can speak to my heart with nobody else around. It's as pure as it gets. There's no filter in it. There's nothing diluted. There's no interpretation to it. It's me and God. And that's why. And he says, and you do that and you'll grow. You'll grow. We'll talk, we're going to talk about, talk about this next week in Sunday school. That's how you grow. It's one of the steps that you grow. And then he ends up this. And you have tasted that the Lord is good. You start to do that and you grow up and you start to enjoy and you start to realize the value in it. And you start to change your appetites. And you start to change the way you think. Peter says, this is how you're going to grow. So, three lessons for us. First one. First one is this idea of, folks, listen. We need to genuinely love one another. Period. Sincerely and fervently. At the end of the day, you got to be able to look at your spouse and say, I put it all out there to love you this day. Love without expectation of return. See, most of us were grow, brought up, and so you find, if you find yourself saying stuff like this, here's how you know you need to change some stuff. 
Well, she should know that I love her because I got her a house and a car and a this and a that and a this and a that. And well, she ought to know. Eh, wrong. You're expecting something back for that love. That's that love. That's that bargaining chip that you want to use. And well, because I did all of that, you know what? I can't believe it. She didn't do the dishes. I can't believe she didn't do that for me. You're not going to believe what I had to do this week. It was horrible. I went to the trash can and it was full. And he hadn't taken it out. And he doesn't love me anymore. And I don't know if we can make it. Look, buy the ones with the little pull things on it. Put your fingers to both of them. Yank them really hard and walk out and throw it away. Guys, those two large machines somewhere in your house, one washes clothes, one dries them. That kitchen is actually a place that food gets prepared. And there's all kinds of really cool tools in there. If your wife won't let you buy tools, man, do what I did. Go in the back door. And the easiest way in the back door is going to the kitchen. You know how many cool tools there are for a kitchen? I got to think a couple uh, last month that chops onions up with one press. So I take an onion, I have it, I go, whoa! And it's like, oh, these are all perfectly sized. Yeah, I spent a lot of knife skill time on that. Whap! There's all kinds of neat things. But, but you know what? It's like we get into this bargaining thing. Well, you know what? I did seven things for you this week, and you only did six for me. Well, that's because I did nine last week, so I was like three ahead starting the week anyway. <laughs> Love is, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to make my spouse's life easier and better. I don't care if they respond or not because I genuinely love them. I genuinely love them. Love without expectation of return. Sincere. No fake or phoniness or bargaining about it. And fervently, I'm going to do everything I can. And that's no guarantee that my wife one day won't leave me. It's not. And that's not why I do it. I just know that if she leaves me, she's left a good deal. And I'm really marketable. Okay? But I don't do it in order to get. I do it because I genuinely love her and want the best possible life for her. That's why. That's why. That's why. Does that make sense? And you have neighbors and friends and coworkers and people around you that you need to genuinely love without looking at it as, okay, I'm going to go do this for you and then someday you can do this for me. You know, look, I, I do it because I care about you and want to help you. I love you. That's why. And some of you, it's really hard for you to accept that. And the reason I think it's hard for you to accept that is, is honestly because of your pride. And we, that's a whole other discussion. We can have that sometime. But second lesson, that's a, that's the toughest things for me to learn was to accept that. Second thing is this. Get rid of the trash. Some of you, here's the bottom line. The way you've talked to each other this week, the way you've talked to coworkers, the way you've talked to family, the way you've talked to friends, you know what? 
the bottom line, God in heaven this week looked at some of the things you said and some of the things you did to other people, and he cringed. He's like, man, don't they understand? That's one of my children. Moms, dads, let me ask you something. What happens when somebody attacks one of your kids? You just sit back and go, eh, it's no big deal. No, you're like a mama bear coming out of the den ready to kill somebody. But we can attack God's children, and we don't think anything about it. It's not right. That's what he says. He says, get rid of that stuff. Don't just take it out and put it in a, the repurpose it or recycle it. Get it in a burn barrel so it's gone for good. And so you really need to get rid of some of that stuff. Some of you, the way you talk about your spouse, the way you talk about coworkers, the way you talk about other people, you just need to learn, kids, I'm going to say it, I might get in trouble with your mom and dad. You need to shut up. You go, oh, that's not a good word. You're right, it's not a good word. So let me say it another way so everybody gets it. Be quiet, duct tape your mouth, do whatever you need to do to not speak it. It's wrong. It's wrong. That's what he says. Get rid of it. Don't be talking that way about anybody. And you say, well, then I'm not going to be able to say anything. And all of the people will go, amen. Because we don't want to hear it either. There are certain people in my life I avoid. You know why? Because every time they open their mouth, it is to trash somebody else. And I got better things to listen to in my life. So I turn on my radio and listen to Chicago. I mean, I, you know, I just, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen. I don't need to listen to that. It's not healthy for anybody. And if that's the way you want to be, then be that way by yourself, but not, not around me. And we need to do that. And then the last thing is this idea. Your spiritual DNA is part Holy Spirit, part Word of God. When people look at your life this week, you know what they need to see? They need to see the reflection of your parents in your life. You spend enough time with our family, and here's what you're going to see. There are some things about my kids that look just like me. Physically, my oldest boy is starting to look just like me. We've had that discussion. He's got my dad's DNA and my DNA, and, and my, my, he's got that, 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 that father side of it. And um, there's some things about my kids that are definitely not. The good things came from my side, my, my DNA. The, the, the other issues, you know, it's my wife's side. But no, I mean, we, no, seriously, you look at our lives. That kind of defeats the idea of talking nice about your spouse, doesn't it? Thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> see how easy it is to do? And you got sucked into it. Uh, no. No, and she knows, you know, we have this great relationship this way. But, I mean, it is. We joke about it, but the reality of it is we see things. And there's times that Jean will look at me and she'll go, you know where he got that from, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I know where he got that from. Okay, but we still got to fix it. Uh, it's that idea of you ultimately reflect that. If, if our parents are the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, guess what we should reflect in our lives? And by the way, any good parent does what? They correct, and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will do that in your life. They discipline, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will do that in your life. They instruct, the Holy Spirit will do that in your life, and the Word of God will do that in your life. They confront, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will do that in your life. They will do those things in your life. But you know what? It's like any good child that listens to mom and dad. 
If mom and dad say it and they don't respond, it's not obedient and it breaks the heart of the parents. And that's what's happening with a lot of them. Is, is God's not pleased with our lives because we're not listening to him. So my challenge to you this week is listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to your heavenly father. Listen to what God wants to do in your life. So I end it with this. Peter warns these people to make a difference in the world. They have gotten sidetracked and they forgot their heritage. So he reminds them of their birth and their opportunities. Real growth means you're going to get rid of some stuff. And you're going to replace it with some healthy stuff. So this week, may each of our lives reflect our spiritual parents. May we genuinely love one another this week. Sincerely and with everything we've got.